But this series that we're in is uh, entitled, like, Thank God It's Monday. Uh, and I don't know if you ever feel that. I don't know if that's where you wake up on, on the Monday morning. But the idea that we're trying to portray is that uh, God has a journey and an adventure for every single one of us. That's not constrained to times when we are together, even though being together matters in this sort of gathered sense of teaching and healing and encouraging and praying for one another. But actually, that often the way and the reason we do gather together is so that we can be sent, so that we can be sent out into our context, into the world um, and into the week, that we are the kind of people who are called to gather together to be healed up so that we can be sent out to bring God's healing, that we gather together to receive so that we can go into the world to give. And we had this little diagram of a loop, which we um, had from a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you were here when we were talking about it. But that, that this is the kind of pattern of the Christian life in so many ways, that, that when we come together, it matters that God does stuff when we meet. It happens in big Sunday gatherings. It happens in community groups. It happens all over the place. But it happens for a purpose. And it's not just to make us feel better. It's actually so that we can go. It's actually so that we can make a difference in the world around us. And um, and I say a big thank you to Dan, who shared last week about something of his story of being called to, to start up nonprofits, a coffee store in the city to change the lives of young people. Um, such a powerful story. Uh, but also, thank you to everyone who put their little pins in the board. And if you've not put your pin into the map of where you spend your week, please, before you go home, would you just do that? Because that just gives us an opportunity to pray and to recognize that wherever we are, Whatever we're doing, in any context, in any situation, whether we feel it or we're not, like God's got a plan. God's got a purpose for us to be part of. That Monday matters. Wednesday matters. Friday evening matters. All of it is part of God's story. Um, and so we're going to have our reading um, this morning, which comes from um, Colossians chapter 3. Uh, starting at verse 15. And so Marion's going to come and read, and uh, it'll be up on the screens, but if you've uh, got your uh, Bible always really good or your app, Colossians chapter 3, um, starting in verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Instructions for Christian households. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working for the Lord not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. 
Thank you. That's a challenging passage, isn't it? Um, but contained with it is something absolutely astonishing, which we're going to come to in a minute's time. But before we get there, uh, I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you just wish desperately you were somewhere else, like anywhere, doing anything else than the thing that you were. I told you a couple of weeks ago that in 2008, like very surprisingly, God uh, invited me to go and lead a business in the automotive sector in the UK. And I was surprised to do it. I was just a young guy with a relatively big business to look after. And I loved it. I loved it at first. I told you that. I loved the opportunity. I loved the people. I loved the responsibility. I loved doing deals. Like it was fun. It was fun up until the financial crisis hit uh, the world in 2008. I think I've been there for something like four or five months when the whole industry that I was part of shut down, not dissimilar to what's happened in Hollywood this year. Like factories stopped, nothing got made, nothing got moved, nothing got bought, nothing got sold. And the little business which I loved, which had been doing really well, suddenly started to do extremely badly. And every month where we had to pay salaries, we had to make money in order to be able to pay the people who worked there. And it became harder. And it became harder, and it became harder to do it. I used to drive down to the office in the morning just wrecked by anxiety, by like this fear of, like, well, what if we can't make it through today? What if we fail? What if we don't manage to pay the people who need to get paid? The, the major shareholder who brought me in was long gone, and it was just me. I'd go home in the evenings, and I would walk around the field near where I lived, and I would just cry out to God, like, God, what are you doing? <laughs> What are you doing? Like, this is your plan for my life? You called me to this? Like, do you, do you have a plan? Is this the real best that you have for me? Surely, God, there's got to be something else. Surely there's got to be somewhere else. Surely there has to be a different plan. Am I really in your will or did I mess it up? Like, did I, in fact, sin secretly somewhere along the way and now you're punishing me by putting me in this horrible situation? Like, should we just pack it all in? as I felt most days, and take Laura and go back and live with my parents and come back in another year. Like, it was just a horrible moment. It was a horrible situation. Now, Paul, when he's writing today to the Colossians, is writing to a group of people who actually, in all honesty, had far greater reason to feel like that than I ever did. The Roman Empire, for all of its fame and its success and its military might, was actually an empire full of rife inequality. Somewhere between like 10 and 20% of the Roman Empire were slaves. They were sometimes quite you know, out there, responsible people who had jobs like being teachers and heading up households. Others were soldiers and they were manual laborers. But what was true for all is that they were people treated terribly without agency. They had no choice. They had no ability to choose what they did with their life, to go where they wanted, to choose whether to work or not. They were treated more as property who could be bought and sold. It may have been a completely accepted part of that society, but it was an awful situation where people were badly abused. But in fact, in the Roman Empire, it wasn't just slaves who got treated like that, because in fact, to be a woman in that society wasn't an awful lot better to be a child also. Like, it was a huge disparity between the haves and the have-nots. But when the church birthed, when the church arrived in the Roman Empire, therefore you saw this huge clash, like of two kingdoms. On one side, it was about military power and dominance and getting what you need. 
And on the other side, it was about the kingdom of heaven. It was about messages of love, equality, forgiveness, salvation, freedom. And these two, like, kingdoms, the kingdom of Rome and the kingdom of heaven, would, like, clash into one another, not least because the early church was in very large part made up of, of slaves, of women, of children, as much as it was made up of the powerful and the rich men who controlled the society. And so, of course, the question like came to the early church, what are you supposed to do? Maybe the cry from the oppressed is like, well, what are we supposed to do when our situations look far from like we want them to? When we feel like we don't have agency, when it's not turning out as we want? Now, the answer Paul gives, and we're going to get it in a couple of minutes' time, is one of the most surprising, beautiful, challenging answers, I think, anywhere in in Scripture. Like, it's not what you would expect it to be. And we'll get there. But before we do, I just want to recognize that that is a question. What are we supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with my life? Is this what God's will is for me? That's a question that we probably feel, a lot of us, quite regularly. Maybe um, it's a question that some of us feel because we're in education right now and we don't know what to do next. We don't know what courses to study. Might be because we're coming to the end of education and we're like, well, what am I supposed to do after I graduate? Like, what is God's will for my working life? It's a question that maybe we might feel if we're in a place where like our career is transitioning or it's not turning out as we expected it to be. It could be a question that we face when we're faced with like changes of life circumstances, and it's a question that we face when retirement's on the cards. What do we do? What's God's will for our lives when people no longer phone us up and ask us to be worked and for our opinions on like big, important matters? What is God's will for us? And I know it's a big question, um, and I know it's because you, you guys often ask me, you're like, Pastor Ben, like, you're some guy who was a car guy and then then you became a pastor and then you moved across the world and you somehow say that God called you to do it like how do you how do you know how do we know what God wants us to do and so I thought just for a few minutes before we delve right into Paul's answer could give you uh, just three things three things to help you if that is your story and that's where you are in your life today Um, and just so that you know that these are kosher sound things I have three of them, and they all start with the same letter. Because I went to seminary, and they taught me how to do these things. And I rarely managed to make it work. Okay, so here you go. If you are in a place of trying to figure out what God's will is for your life, here's my first question for you. Are you open? Are you actually open to God might lead you to go? Now, I know that seems like a silly question, But actually, what I'm really asking is, are you open to God leading you somewhere that might be different to where you have in mind to go? Now, I talk to people quite often, they're like, God, I really want God to show me where where I should spend my life. But when I really drill in, what I realize is they're not so much asking God to guide them, but really asking God to bless them. Like, God, I've already got a plan, and it's a really good one. I know what you need to do here, so can you just genie me up a solution straight away? Right, that is not God's calling, and it's not God's guidance. What I've come to discover in my life is that usually when God guides, he has a different journey than the ones we have. 
Not only does he have often a different destination to the one that we may have at the forefront of our minds, but he's usually got different places to stop off along the way too. You know, I don't meet that many people who are like, man, when I was five, God had, I got this idea that I was going to be this, and, and then God just like supersized it, like streamlined it, highway down the HOV lane to the destination by the time I was 21. Like it just doesn't work like that. Because God so often seems to have things that he wants us to experience along the way. Journeys, transformation, changes. Like I actually think that the Christian life following Jesus is more about surrender than it is about immediate blessing. Like to follow Jesus is actually to say, God, I will put down my dreams. Like I'll actually put down these things that I am so tightly wedded to controlling and I'm aiming my life towards. But here's the amazing thing is that as we, we put those things down, so often God will say something like, okay, now, now I can do something. And sometimes God will give us back something very close to the original dreams. And sometimes he'll give us something totally different, but always better. Something which is more in line with who he made us to be. I want to say, actually, if you want God to guide you, but you have non-negotiables, then actually God's going to have a hard time guiding you because you've already decided what you want. Are you open? Are you open? Secondly, um, do you have others who can speak truth into your life? Now, um, we all like those kind of people who will tell us the thing we want to hear in every situation, right? We will love those people who are just endlessly positive and optimistic. Laura and I have got a tennis coach who can only say positive things. We love him so much, right? Honestly, like sometimes I will hit the, the ball over the fence and he'll be like, nearly done it, Ben, well done. <laughs> I mean, I'm still working on it, but he's so nice. But those kind of people can only ever get us so far because we actually need people who will tell us the truth. And not just any people, but godly wise people who can tell us who we were actually made to be. Uh, when I was a, an undergrad, I was at business school. Uh, BMW came to my university to try and recruit a bunch of graduates for positions within their head office. And for me, like, this was the big dream job. I was like, God, I'm here. Like, I have got this down. I'm ready. Um, and like often in these big corporate, like, recruitment processes, there's like 25 steps of recruitment, if any of you have ever been to try to do it. And so there's all this, like, paperwork, and I stayed up late at night and filled in the paperwork and amazingly got through the paperwork round. And then they send you off to this place to do all this team building stuff of building bridges and working with people. And somehow, like my little team, we, we broke BMW's record for this little bridge thing. And we were like, okay, we've got this. Um, and then you get invited to these big places where there's all this kind of psychometric testing and big group environment stuff. And somehow I got through all of that. Until eventually there was just like a couple of us left and I found myself like in the office of this big BMW executive in BMW's head office for Northern Europe. And I was like, this is going to be amazing. And, uh, and I prepared for ages. And, and I know to this day every question that was asked in the interview. 
I remembered every single one, and I know exactly what I said in response to every question. There were questions like, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And how, what are you really good at? And what do you struggle with? And bizarrely, like, if you were a BMW car, what BMW car would you be? <laughs> like, I remember the questions, and I didn't get the job. And honestly, to this day, I know exactly why I didn't get the job, because I replay the answers I gave to the questions as a 21-year-old, and they were junk. <laughs> They were complete garbage. Like, I remember saying to this guy, like, oh, I am just like this, and I'm like this, and I like this. And I look out now, and I'm like, those are not true. <laughs> like, I thought they were true. I was basically pitching this guy to be his HR, like, graduate student. Like, if you know anything about business, I am not an HR person. Like, you, some of you could be good HR people. I am not that person. Skill set, not me at all. And I know now exactly why I didn't get that job, because the answers I gave were deluded, because I had no idea, honestly, who I really was and what I was good at. Now, fortunately, over the years that have come since then, I've had some godly people who've been kind enough to tell me the truth. Actually, often in church, often in volunteer situations like we're talking about today, people who prepared to say, like, actually, Ben, you're not so hot at that, but you are quite good at that. Why don't you try that? Like, I've needed people who have got a better view of me than I have of myself, because I don't get to see myself unless I'm watching YouTube of myself preaching at church. Do you have people who can speak? And the good news is, a vintage, um, and I say this particularly to like, those of us who are a bit younger in the room, this is a community with some wonderfully godly people who are a bit further down the journey than us. And I'll tell you, I call them up regularly and say, what do you see? Because I need to know what you think about this. And so I just want to encourage you. This is a community where you can ask those people for mentoring and for uh, things. And I'm happy to help you connect up if you want that. Do you, are you open? Uh, do you have others? And then thirdly, um, and this is a reach for my final O, just to be honest, right? Do you already have one foot in front of the other? Copyright, right? Okay. Now, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean. If God wants to use us to bring his kingdom to bear in the world, and that's my strong conviction, if he wants to bring salvation, forgiveness of sins, healing, justice to every area, sphere, every moment, if that's who he is and what he's about, then I want to contend with you that you don't actually need a huge prophetic voice from heaven to start the journey. You don't. You, in fact, all of us, we have skills, we have opportunities, we've got resources, we've got time, we've got access to God in prayer and his power that enables us to start to walk the journey, even today. We all have those things. You know, I, I had this picture um, from a few weeks ago of this ship, um, which will pop on the screen, this ocean-going vessel. And uh, I talked about it as a prophetic picture of vintage being called to uh, you know, traverse and go into a, a new direction across the oceans and work together. Um, but if you can see the picture, you'll actually see it at the back of, the, back of the yacht is um, the helmsman. And his job is, with the big wheel thing, uh, is to steer. And he steers that big sailing vessel and all on board it by, as he turns the, his wheel, he has under his feet just a very innocuous 
piece of fiberglass under the boat called the rudder. And as he turns it from 10 degrees to port or starboard, left to right, like that boat can move into a different direction, which can end up with it being in a totally different part of the ocean or the world. Just a small movement, and it can change. But if that helmsman was to do that when the boat is in dock or not going anywhere, it will do absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I think there's something about the Christian life which has got the same sort of emphasis, which is that sometimes what we really want is we want God to be like our Uber driver. We're like, hey God, I'm here. If you can just take me to my destiny, that would be great and get me here in like two minutes. That would be brilliant. When the truth is, I think God is much more like our navigator than he is like our Uber driver. God expects that we're already doing the stuff, that we're already using the gifts we have, that we're already knocking on the doors, that we're already praying. And along the way, he will very happily guide us, take us a bit to the left, a bit to the right, slow down, speed up, use us where he needs us to. As Woody Allen says, you know, 90% of life is basically showing up. So are we people who are already showing up in his kingdom? Sadly, um, I reflect on this often. A guy in a previous church said to me uh, a while back ago, he said, "Um, I've decided I'm no longer going to work. I'm I'm no longer going to get a job because I'm actually going to stay at home and I'm just going to pray and pray until God basically gives me the big answer of what I'm to do next. Now, I appreciated the heart behind what he said. But I also know, sadly, that 10 years on, much to the consternation of his children and his wife, he still is sitting on his couch. Because God expects us to be moving forward, to trying things out, to figuring out who we are along the journey. So are you open? Do you have others? And are you already moving forward with one foot in front of the other? But here's Paul's big answer, which is why, by the way, what I just said, I don't think it didn't, it's not just good advice. It's not a TED talk. But it's actually very much in line with what Paul would want us to hear this morning. Because here's what Paul says. Here's what he says to slaves, to women, to masters, to children, to the rich and the poor, to the oppressed and the free. Here's what he has to say about calling, about direction. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, work at it with your whole heart as working for the Lord, not human masters. Did you see it? Whatever you do, whatever you do, whatever, sorry, uh, (laughs) stop, delete that bit from the video. Um, Whatever you do, right? Here's, Here's a circle with the word whatever in it, right, okay? I think the word whatever is a pretty comprehensive sort of word. Right? It's pretty big. The word whatever you do seems to encapsulate quite a lot of things. Like just to make sure we're on the same thing. Here's, here's some ideas. Right? Maybe Paul would say it includes being a servant or a slave, being a child, being a master, being a boss, being a creative, being a grandparent, being a volunteer, being a teacher, being an apprentice, basically anything. Whatever you do can, is constrained by what Paul wants to say. In fact, maybe the only thing that's not constrained by what Paul wants to say is whatever you don't do. 
by not doing anything. That's what's outside of the space. But whatever you do do, Paul says, do it with all your heart, as if working for the Lord. So right, here's the situation. People are crying out, going, this is not just. This is not where I want to be. This is not what I want my life to be doing. And here's Paul's answer. Well, whatever it is you find yourself doing, wherever you find yourself, do it for the Lord. Which seems to me like Paul has a question that therefore is more important than what you do, right? Do I do A or do I do B? Do I resign my job? Do I get another one? Do I study? Do I not? Do I move here? Do I not? There's an even more important question for Paul, and it's not what you do. It's how you do what you do. It's how you do what you do. He doesn't say to this group, when you get it all together, when your circumstance gets better, when you get your dream job, when you get the perfect family situation, then God will do something amazing with you. Then something special will happen. He doesn't say that. He says, wherever you are today, Whatever you are in, got in front of you today, that is for God to use. Now, I think there's three pretty big implications, if that's true. Three huge things that change the way we might think about Monday morning. And the first one is this. That if God wants to use us, engage with us in every moment, every situation then we have to be people who are fully present to the situation, like fully present. What I mean by that is that if God wants to bring transformation to our workplaces, our streets, our neighborhoods, our schools, our colleagues, then primarily he's gonna wanna do it through people and he's gonna want to do it through you toward other people because that's the kind of God he is. And if he's going to do that, then the only way that's going to be possible is if we are fully present to him and we're fully present to the people God puts in front of us, to the situations right, that God puts in front of us every single day. Now, I know Paul didn't have to wrestle with this, but I do. Like, it's really hard to be present when you've got a massive world of digital in front of you every single moment, right? It's really hard to be present when we're so bombarded by different noises and images. Now, I'm not in any way like an anti-tech guy. I actually love being connected to so many things and so many people. But the question I have had to wrestle with even this week is, am I present to the person who God has put in front of me this morning? Like, am I actually there? If God was to speak and say, Ben, I just need you to deliver a message for me. I just need you to go there. I just need you to reassure that person that I love them. Would I even hear? Would I hear? What about when I'm going down the street or walking like, to the metro or I'm getting on the Zoom call? Like, am I actually present? And sadly, I think my kids and my wife might tell you that I'm not all the time. Are we physically, spiritually, and emotionally present to the place where God has put us in front of us? Because I think presence makes a huge difference. When I, um, when I didn't get my dream job at BMW, sadly, which I'm not bitter about at all in any way, um, 
but I did somehow manage to scrape and graduate business school. I got invited if I'd, through part of my week, go and start a little business, but through the other half of my week, go and move into a really tough neighborhood with a, another three guys to go and start the process towards planting a church. Um, and it was in this city, and uh, it was a neighborhood where people just didn't really go. They did not invest. Like, crime was rife. You know, there was a lot of graffiti, kids on street corners. Like, it was just really tough and forgotten place. And we committed, as four of us guys, to go and simply be present in that place for a year. And so we rented a place, and we moved into this neighborhood. And for a whole year, we, we literally just went to listen and to try and be a blessing. And so I, I joined the little community, like, community committee where people like, went and gave, aired their grievances about what was wrong. And they made me the secretary pretty quickly because nobody else wanted to be one. So they were like, you can be the secretary. And I listened for a year of like, all these things that were wrong and about how kids had nothing to do and how crime was real and damage was happening. And just little by little, like, my friends and I, we just committed to try and be present to make a difference. And so we, we started a little football club for those kids after school who didn't have anywhere to go. And we started with some buddies cleaning up the streets and doing some gardening. And then we started like a little Christmas festival and then a summer one so that there was some point of gathering in the community. And here's the weird thing. We were not theology graduates. We didn't really have a great like vision statement for salvation. But over the year, like people started to come to faith. Like people wanted to know why we were doing what we were doing. People, young kids and older people were like, we want to follow the Jesus that you follow if he makes a difference in our communities like what's going on here. What would it mean just for you tomorrow, wherever you're going to be, to just choose to be present to the people God will put you in? Be present. Number two, Paul says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it with your whole heart. Do it with your whole heart. There's supposed to be something about following Jesus that is full of passion and love. There's supposed to be something about the Christian life that is a passionate life, that is a loving life, that's radically countercultural, actually, to the people around us. You know, and we see it because, I don't know if you noticed or were even slightly troubled by what Paul says about the Roman household. But what Paul's doing is he's actually taking aim at, at the Roman like, concept of household, which was the center-building block of the Roman Empire, about wives and husbands and slaves and free. Because on one side, he actually says a bunch of things they'd expect, and on the other hand, he just totally subverts them. Someone's left on the Harley. Sorry. Um, verse 18, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands. And everyone in the Roman Empire would have gone, check, agree. But then he goes, husbands, love your wives. Love them. Submit to them. Serve them. Bless them. Verse 20, children, obey your parents. And the Roman Empire would have gone, check. And then he goes, parents, don't wind up your children. Don't make them angry. Don't discourage them, but encourage them and bless them. Verse 22, servants and slaves, obey your masters, check. No, verse, uh, 4 verse 1, masters, care for your slaves and your servants. Treat them as humans. Treat them with dignity and respect. 
Like he's totally subverting the culture by saying, you as followers of Jesus are supposed to display a passionate, radical love that is totally different from the world around you. There's supposed to be something visible in the way that you act and who you are, which is passionate and loving. And we've got to be really clear, Paul is in no way ever saying that slavery is okay. Christians have always been at the forefront of reading the world of slavery. But there is just this deep commitment that wherever you are is to be loving and passionate about it. But here's why. Because, Paul says, whatever you do, wherever you are, you aren't actually doing it for other people. You're doing it for the Lord. Doing it for the Lord. Uh, there's a guy called Matt Redman, who's um, an amazing worship pastor. And um, when I was a, a young man, he wrote this book. Um, and in his book, he described worship as being all about the audience of one. And his basic premise was that, that when we come to sing, when we come to pray, we come to lift our arms up or kneel down in worship, we don't actually do it because we have an amazing voice that we need to share with the community. So it's not because God gave us something so beautiful that the people around us are going to be blessed by our magnificent skill in singing or praying or communicating. Actually, the reason we come to worship in a sense of what we do when we're gathered together is we do it for him. We do it for him. We do it because he's good. We do it because he's kind. We do it because he made us, because he loves us, because he sustains us, because he's forgiven us, because he's saved us, because he's got a future for us. When we come in worship, actually, even though we're with other people, it's not about the other people, it's about God. Amen? That's what worship is. It's for the audience of one. And in verse 14 to 17, Paul says that exact thing in today's reading. He says, in the gathered sense, when you're together, whatever you do, do it for him. But then, taking the same language, the same argument, same words, he then takes it into the world of work. He takes it into the week. And he says, whatever you do, wherever you are, do it for the Lord." Just let that blow your grid a minute. Just for one moment, turn to the person next to you and just quickly give them one sentence of what you're going to be doing this time tomorrow morning. 11.41, Monday morning. What are you going to be doing? Quickly, go for it. Okay, that's enough. Now, what does that mean... Hold that thing you just said in your mind. What could that look like if that was your worship for the week? I mean, that might be very challenging. There are some things in my week that I find quite easy to worship God through. Being in church is one of them. I'll tell you one thing I don't find easy to worship through. Talking to call centers. Like, anyone else find that? I find that really hard. Like, I'm not, one of my least favorite things to do in life is to call up call centers and trying to get something done. 
You know you're there for like four hours and the person doesn't know what they're doing and you're like in the middle of it, right? That is really hard for me, I'm just being honest. Like, I don't know what your thing is that you'll be doing tomorrow morning. Going to school, at the school gate dropping off your kids, whether you're gonna be at work or on a Zoom call or in a meeting, like I don't know what tomorrow morning brings, but just think about it. It's supposed to be worship. That you're not actually doing it for anyone else. You're doing it for him. You are there to worship the one who made you. You're there to worship the one who created you and saved you and is with you in the situation and who loves you and has forgiven you and has got a purpose for you and a destiny for you. That thing you're going to be doing tomorrow morning is supposed to be worship to him. And that might be very challenging. Now, if you're not sure what that means, let me just offer you one quick thought about that, which is that it might be, therefore, not about what you do, but how you do it. That it's about your attitude, your posture. You know, um, one theologian says that our attitudes are the cologne we wear, the perfume. Is the cologne, the perfume, the attitude I have tomorrow on the call center call or wherever I'm going to be, does that, is that an attitude of worship, of love, of forgiveness, of grace, of truth, of mercy, of justice? Is that what I've got? Or honestly, am I just trying to get through so I can get to something else? I was thinking this week about, like, on Monday morning I got up, I was like, what story could I use to try and explain this better? Um, and I couldn't think of one, but just occasionally God drops a really good one into my lap. Um, and I want to finish with this. So, uh, you, some of you will know, uh, Laura and I have been living in this funny big old house for the last couple of years. Um, it's not ours, but it's, like, it's basically a lot like running a YMCA, if I'm honest. Basically, people come and they go all day long and use the different bits of the house for different things. Uh, and it's quite tiring, and we love it, but we've spent two years trying to keep on top of all the cleaning and everything, and it's been hard. And so in the summer, we finally gave up, um, and we, we found a recommendation towards a lovely um, older lady. She's a widow called Maria. And um, Maria comes to our home every two weeks. She has very little. She lives in a little place in Pasadena, but she comes to our home every two weeks and spends a day like helping us out and just sorting out and clearing up after people and things. And, but she phoned me up last week, um, and she said... Ben, I'm coming to your house on Monday, even though it's not my week to come, I'm coming, um, because I'm going to clean your windows and you don't need to pay me. And my initial reaction was, amen to that. Um, <laughs> but what I really thought was, she's obviously so offended with the state of our windows that for the sheer, her own sanity, she feels like she needs to come and like, clean them. So sure enough, right, Maria comes to our house last Monday. She cleans up for a whole morning all of the outside windows. It's like ridiculous. And they go back home, and I'm like, I can see for the first time ever there's an outside to the house. It's amazing. Um, anyway, I saw Maria on Monday morning um, as she came around uh, for her scheduled time. And I said, Maria, I'm just so grateful that you came and cleaned our windows. Like I've, I've just put some extra money into uh, your pay packet this month because I, I just wanted to say thank you. Now, I was expecting her to say thank you, but she looked at me with a look of absolute offense. And she said, no, you can't pay me. I said, no, no, I paid you already. And she said, no, no. I, and she went to her bag and she got out some cash and she thrust it in my hand and said, here's the money. You're not allowed to pay me because it's my worship to God. 
She said, this is my worship, that if ever I get extra time in my week, I go to one of the houses of the people that I work with and I do something extra for him and not for them. Like, I almost burst into tears in my house. In the end, we had to have a whole argument and and agree that the money would go in the church offering at the end of the week. And no, you're not having her phone number either, so she works for us. But for, for, for Maria, like, this is worship. For the audience of one, cleaning for not that much money, people's houses, this is what she does. MLK says it like this. If it falls to your lot to be a street sweeper, sweep the streets like Michelangelo painted pictures, like Shakespeare wrote poetry, like Beethoven composed music. Sweep streets so well that all the host of heaven and earth will have to pause and say, here lived a great street sweeper who swept his job well. What a vision. What a vision. So wherever you are, would you like to stand? And I'd love to pray for you for whatever tomorrow brings. For those of us who are moms and dads, others who are looking for work, for those who are retired, those who've got massive, very demanding jobs, others who wish they had more demanding things to do. Let's pray.